Hello there, my name's Neil David and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North, we don't care, we talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapsEXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. I am Jesse Collings, and joining me today is Adam Berger. Adam is a it's becoming a frequent guest on the show. I believe, Adam, this is your third appearance, if that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And Adam, of course, is a contributor to VoicesOfWrestling.com. And of course, this podcast has recently become member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. And just a reminder to everyone that you can get this podcast on any of your chosen podcast services. Um, if you're still listening on to YouTube, that's great. It's still going to be on YouTube but you can get an audio version of this on Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, this show's on it. So I appreciate everyone that's been listening. Uh, I believe we peaked as high as, as number 31 uh, in the uh, in the um, Apple's, Apple Charts Pro Wrestling Podcasts um, chart, I guess. There's a Apple breaks down their podcasts by wrestling categories. Because there's just so many damn wrestling podcasts. And like I think we got as high as 31 in the United States. Um, which I was like, I don't really think about that much about like the reach of this podcast or anything, or like how successful we're going to be. But I was like 31, like we're ahead of some podcasts that like I've heard of that have like quote unquote like wrestling names in them. So um I'm kind of blown away by that achievement. So I really appreciate everyone who's been listening. Um but uh, today we're here to talk about WrestleMania. Uh, I have said basically nothing about WrestleMania uh, this year so far. I haven't written anything. I haven't done any audio for it. So I think obviously we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, a few days before night one of WrestleMania. Um, we're just going to let it fly. I mean, I have this as kind of like a... Um, just we're going to be as blunt as possible about these things. I know I know I hate to admit this sometimes Adam, but sometimes I'm a little diplomatic in my words. Sometimes I uh I sometimes I try to cover all of my bases when I when I'm talking and I'm going to we're going to approach this and I'm just going to give my 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 hottest takes about each and every one of these matches and I'm happy you're here to join us. Yeah, happy to be here. I can be the slightly more diplomatic one today to free you up. <laughs> just to, real me to yeah. Well, you know, like Dave, Dave Meltzer has really like I've learned a lot from his ability to say things in certain ways where like if he's writing something or he's even doing audio. But this is especially prevalent in his writing when he's like kind of talking about where he he's going to give a prediction or he gives a thought. He always gives himself a little wiggle room on like, you know, say he thinks something is is not going to work. It's not going to draw. And he'll say like, it's really unlikely to draw, you know, unless something like this happens or, or he always kind of gives himself a little wiggle room. And I've really adopted that. I hate, I don't have a problem admitting that I'm wrong, but I always like the idea of avoiding going all the way and being as definitive as possible when it comes to predicting something. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cut loose here 
and, and try to be as blunt as possible with things. Um, but I'll start with this question for you, just in general, Adam. What do you? What's kind of your general thoughts about this WrestleMania card and kind of the build up to WrestleMania in the momentum of WWE in general? Before we get into any of the specific matches. Yeah, that's interesting for me to answer because now I'm kind of the mythological casual fan of WWE. Like I'm not, I'm not watching it each and every week, but I still follow what's going on. If something interests me, you know, I'll check out the, uh, check out some YouTube clips or, um, you know, uh, hop on the DVR and, 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 you know, watch the stuff that that's interesting. Um, and so, yeah, but have been watching like all the, the big events, like, you know, Elimination Chamber, Royal Rumble, uh, Survivor Series. So, yeah, this uh, in terms of from prior years, I mean, obviously the Roman Sami Zayn storyline um, got pretty hot, got a lot of interest, um, which is a little unusual for like the February pay-per-view to be so hot, even like going back historically, that's pretty rare. Um, for WWE and then being able to uh, kind of pivot that into Roman and Cody, which is, I don't know if it's quite as hot, at least from my perception as Roman and Sammy was, but I think probably one of the strongest WrestleMania main events they've had during the network area, during the network era, at least. Yeah, I think in, I don't want to get too far into like the well, is Vince McMahon involved in the creative end of this company? How much influence does he have? I, I think we all can agree that he has some influence at this point. WWE's come out and admitted that. But I think it's kind of obvious that Triple H has a lot more influence over the kind of booking leading up to WrestleMania than he has ever had before. And this is a much more focused card with with basically every single one of these matches having some form of build and story into them. I think there are a few obvious uh, exemptions of that, but if you kind of look up and down this card, there is there has been a lot of uh, thought and time dedicated to a lot of these feuds, you know, Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes. Roman Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes obviously, the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, the Dominic Mysterio versus Rey Mysterio match, you know, even John Cena versus Austin Theory. These are matches that have had you know, many weeks, if not months um, of of build going into them. And it does feel like that this is like, I don't know, like a proper WrestleMania card where they're going to blow off a lot of like kind of like longstanding feuds. And that really has been, I feel like has been missing from WrestleMania over the last several years. I think just even if you just look at last year's show, I mean, that the main the, the main event of night two being the Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns match, which just felt so tired and repetitive and just didn't seem to have any enthusiasm or surrounding it this match roman reigns versus cody rhodes i think feels great i think it's hot i don't know if i want to say like will cody be as over in the building uh on sunday night as Sami Zayn was in montreal i don't think so um but you look at kind of especially the live attendance numbers for cody shows like, you know, Cody drew almost 10,000 people to a house show in Denver last week. And that was without Roman Reigns, without Sami Zayn. Um, it was like Cody and Braun Strowman versus and Ricochet teaming against the Usos and Solo Sokoa in the main event. And they're doing 10,000 people for a house show. Uh, he, he feels like he's really hot. And I think that 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 is is going to make this show stand out a lot more than I think 
WrestleMania last year and maybe even years previously to previous to that because I do feel like this I, I do feel like there's a lot more focus on on these big matches and it feels like a proper WrestleMania I'm 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 pretty excited for it I, I'm pretty hard on WWE a lot uh but I'm pretty excited for I think as uh, for for this show I kind of wish they cut out a lot of the fat and this was one night with just like the best matches from both nights put on one card but I think they've done a really good job making this show feel like WrestleMania, making it feel important. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. Um, I think we might want to just talk about Cody and Roman now, since you yeah, already, let's do that uh, now. We already kind of we don't, we don't have to go that. in specific order, so that's. <laughs> but I mean, it's, the, it's definitely the biggest match of the weekend, um, obviously. And what I mentioned before, I think this actually is probably the biggest WrestleMania main event of the the network era. Uh, I mean, the, the network era, it kicked off in 2014 um, with, you know, Daniel Bryan versus Batista versus um, Randy Orton. But that was also, that was literally the first pay-per-view on the network. So like half of it was still uh, traditional pay-per-view as well. I think it did like 600,000 buys or something mm -hmm. on traditional pay-per-view in addition to the network. So I don't know if you can really count that one as like a pure network era. But if you started like 2015, it's, you know, Brock versus Roman. The next year, it's Triple H versus Roman. Roman versus Undertaker. Roman versus Brock again. The Ronda and Becky and Charlotte match in 2019, which Ronda and Becky was hot for a bit, but then when they added Charlotte, it cooled off a bit, you know, the last like six weeks um, leading up to the show. 2020 is the pandemic <laughs> WrestleMania, so who cares? Um, the, you know, they did the best they could, but pretty disappointing there. And then uh, 2021, you know, Sasha and Bianca on night one, Roman, Edge, and Brian on night two. And then uh, last year, you know, you said Brock and Roman yet again. And then, uh, you know, Kevin Owens and Steve Austin, which I think, you know, probably could have been uh, huge, but like Austin didn't want it advertised in advance that he was having his last match at WrestleMania 19. And it seems like he didn't really want the pressure of committing to like, this is definitely going to be a match for his comeback last year. And so the build was kind of lackluster and wasn't quite as big as it, as it could have been otherwise. So yeah, going into this one, I think actually, yeah, Cody and Roman, especially, you know, Cody being hot and coming over from AEW and, you know, everything that, went into that um and then roman having his you know multi-year uh championship reign uh th that combination of that i think it actually is probably the strongest and most hyped main event of the the network era you know since 2015 yeah so you're, you're probably we're probably looking back to like the second john cena versus rock match right as the as the a bigger wrestlemania main event um yeah i think i think the brian one probably was just because that had a lot of momentum but um as well i think i think that that might have that might have topped it um but i would say definitely at least since then so you know almost yeah. almost a decade I, I think if we go back like like brian danielson uh daniel bryan he didn't have the the individual star power momentum that cody Rhodes had i i would argue that daniel bryan was more over in the buildings than cody but like what Cody has been able to do from an attendance drawing perspective, which is kind of the only even playing field we have to judge these guys in a lot of ways. Um, you know, taking one guy from now and one guy from 10 years ago, Cody does feel, I mean, he is, he's really hot from that perspective. And uh, you know, his, his, since he came from AEW, they've made almost no mistakes with him. You know, he, he beat Seth Rollins a bunch of times definitively 
he has kind of that very memorable Hell in a Cell match where he probably shouldn't have wrestled, but he does with the the torn pectoral muscle. And then he goes away, which was probably in a lot of ways has benefited him because he comes back, you know, again, kind of as this hot new star. He didn't have a year of being exposed on on Raw every week where he maybe would have grown a little bit stale. And now he's here in this giant match against Roman Reigns. And um, I think I think Cody really should win this match. But I do think the fact that it's not implausible that Roman Reigns wins this match. I think that some people believe that Roman Reigns can win this match. I think that will help the match be a much bigger and better event because it's not a, a foregone conclusion that Cody is going to win. And usually that leads to a really good match because it makes those near falls uh, every bit that more exciting because I, I, it's it's definitely not out of the realm possibility that Roman Reigns pins Cody and that's it. Yeah, I, I think you could make an argument that in terms of Corey, Cody's narrative um, that maybe he does come up short this time and, you know, it drives him to, you know, work to get a rematch and finally getting another shot at it, maybe at SummerSlam or something like that. Like I, I can understand that from like a storytelling uh, aspect. Uh, my concern with that would be, man, like you were saying, Cody's drawn in terms of ratings and attendance. And I don't know if I'd really want to risk that by, uh, by having him lose right now, especially right after you beat um, Sami Zayn the previous month. Yeah. Like they already kind of like Sammy, you could have said was really hot and they already kind of opted to not go all the way with him. And the argument would be because they're going to go all the way with Cody and you can make a, an argument that that's the right move because Cody has shown the ability to be over. Uh, I don't think you can make that call and say like, oh, we're just going to keep going with Roman Reigns. There are some people that believe that. I think people are really – some people are really into the idea of Roman Reigns having the title for a thousand days. Um, I don't really understand that. Like is, is, is Roman just going to become like a way bigger star if he has the title for a thousand days instead of 940 days or how many – days he already has the title now like i think you're kind of at your your max point with with roman as a as a as a, as a the, the dominant heel champion who hasn't lost in a long time and i do think the fact that they've booked cody really well up until this point and they've protected him a ton um i don't think he hasn't been beaten right no at least it, i don't think so definitely not pinned um i don't know if he had any sort of weird like kind of or DQ yeah he or might anything. have lost i don't he, he might have yeah, lost. i don't I was going to say, I don't think he has, but I mean, yeah, he definitely hasn't been pinned or submitted. He so. hasn't lost it, like it's a big match. No, no. Yeah, it, it's amazing. You bring someone in, just have them win all their matches. If they're good and they get over it. Like I don't that. know how someone could do this. I don't know how someone, it must take some sort of booking genius to come up with that. But he, um, the fact that they've done him so well, I think this, like he kind of has to win because I do think that this would be a big step back if he were to lose. Um, the build to this match I've been a little bit, it's obviously worked from a business perspective. Personally, I've been a little bit apprehensive about it. I hated the whole, like, Dusty Rhodes liked Roman Reigns better and just talking about Dusty in every single promo and Heyman, you know, taunting Rhodes about how Dusty really liked Roman more. Like, that is just the lamest, most repetitive <laughs> shit, like, that WWE does is, like, Oh, now it's personal, you know, it's personal because Paul Heyman mentioned his family. And like, that was one of my annoying things with Cody when he first came back to WWE was he mentioned 
Dusty Rhodes in every single one of his promos. And it's like, it's almost like, like, like in Vince's mind, he doesn't want to push Cody, but he does want to push Dusty. So if Cody just mentions Dusty all the time, it's kind of like he's pushing Dusty Rhodes and he's not pushing this guy who he had dismissed as a mid Carter, um, which ironically is how Vince pushed Dusty Rhodes when he actually had the real live Dusty Rhodes. But I like that stuff was so like boring and bad to me like that decision to to build the feud around that and yeah yeah I, I my take on that was there is some reality to like dusty having an influence on roman and Heyman. like Heyman obviously has a personal connection with him because mm-hmm. it was it was dusty who got Heyman into the, the business and taught Heyman um about the business so there's a personal connection there and then obviously dusty being at the in their developmental system for so long, obviously had an influence on, you know, everyone who went through there, um, including Roman. I thought the way they could have maybe done that was, you know, Heyman talks about his personal connection and, you know, Roman can say, you know, like, uh, like, you know, I'm the star that Dusty always wanted you to be, you know, like he was my mentor and I, you know, fulfilled everything that I possibly could have. And you're the disappointment instead of saying like Dusty liked me more, which is yeah, just, just kind of dumb and ridiculous. I like, just like, there, there's a, yeah. I just don't care what Dusty Rhodes thought about these guys really. Like, I just like, <laughs> can we, if it, it kind of feels like, and, and one of the good things about this feud, I think is that, and one of the reasons I think it's drawn well and, is that there's a real level of sustainability to this because it's not a nostalgia feud. It's not a feud relying on a retired star or semi-retired star. It's two contemporary guys theoretically at the peak of their abilities. So like, I just, I'm, I'm apprehensive to kind of any feud that's built around, like, this is what this guy who was a real star, that's what he thought. And so we're going to just build about it. And I thought in the kind of, I think the one real face-to-face interaction Cody and Roman have had, um, where Roman finally like kind of cut into the real, like what I find to be the more interesting story is Cody was a failure in WWE. He leaves to go to another company where he gets over as a star, but kind of runs away from there too. And now he's back in WWE and he's trying to take the world title from Roman. And I think that is a much more, not only is that a much more like believable, realistic story but I think it's a hotter idea because you're not relying on any old, what some old wrestler thought you're relying on like <laughs> a real issue that I think fans see that's, it, there's some truth. There's a lot of truth to it. And it just feels much more cutting and dynamic for Roman to basically tell Cody that he was afraid, he was afraid of being booed in AEW. So he came here to try to play the hero. Um, To me, that's a much more interesting kind of storyline to explore with these two personalities than the other one. And I kind of, I enjoy that they finally kind of shifted towards that a little bit in the last few weeks. I think, I think something interesting is that Roman really hasn't been like super present with Cody for this build. Like they've, they've had a lot of time to build it up. They've had almost two months since, um, well, they've had about six weeks since elimination chamber. And I think what is there has, have they been they've been face to face once you know Roman's done a lot of he hasn't been on every show he it's been a lot of Cody and Heyman interacting Cody and the Usos interacting Cody wrestling solo Sokoa it's been a lot of kind of Cody interacting with the various parts of the bloodline there hasn't been a ton of Roman and Cody going at it and I don't necessarily have a problem with that because it kind of I don't think we need to see them 
cut promos against one another for six straight weeks. But I do think that one interaction that they had with one another was was my far my favorite part of this build. And everything else has been kind of meh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. That's that's really the story. Um and yeah, I thought there was just a way, like if you really wanted to incorporate Dusty, I thought there was a way you could incorporate him while telling that exact same story. Because the story is really Cody's never quite made it to the top of the mountain, um, with all due respect to Ring of Honor and the NWA. Um in terms of WWE and in AEW. And, and here he is, you know, facing Roman, who is on this, you know, what they say, record-breaking title reign. I mean, I guess in terms of, like, you know, this century, sure. Well, but, no um, one's held that title that he has. What is it? The... <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> like, that specific title, I mean. It's not the same title that Bruno had. But, yeah, I, yeah, like, I think the whole thing, like, you're right about, like, there's a way to incorporate kind of, like, Dusty being involved with with Roman's career and obviously being involved with Cody in a way that's less ridiculous than Paul. Yeah, the, the, like, I, Dusty told me that he always Roman. Oh, he liked <laughs> Roman. He wished Roman was his son and not you. And it's like that's clearly. Oh yeah, so that's fake sounding. But, yeah, so fake sounding, so ridiculous. But I don't know. Also, though, it does sound like something Paul Haven would tell people. Right. Um, well, it's knowing, also knowing Paul it, Haven. <laughs> Well, it's like this thing. It's like, well, Paul Heyman's a villain, so he can he, he of course he's lying, but like Cody reselling it and reacting to it like it was this big insult kind of makes me think less of Cody. It makes me think Cody is stupid for falling for what would be an obvious lie from Paul Heyman. But yeah, yeah, Paul, Paul Heyman's supposed to be if you if you want to like incorporate real life Paul Heyman, he's supposed to be a good liar, not, yeah. a, not a bad one. Yeah, and so um. I mean, that's 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 easily the biggest match on this show uh, by far. Um, the the biggest match on night one. Now that we have the cards, because you know we didn't have these cards until earlier today when I guess Stephen A. Smith revealed them as part of a segment on on ESPN with Nick Khan. Um, but now we have the cards for night one and night two. Um, so if we go back to night one, they're going to open with Austin Theory versus John Cena. And this has been a feud that I feel like has was like originally talked about months ago. If you were like reading The Observer, um, this has been something that they've had their eye on for a while. Um, and they built it up through different interactions. If I'm being co- totally honest, I just don't see anything in Austin Theory. And I don't understand why he's being put in this position because I don't think he's good enough to be in this position. And I think it's a total waste of John Cena. Yeah, this probably isn't the best thing uh, as a guest, but I really have nothing to add to that. Um, <laughs> like, I, I feel exactly the same way. I guess the only thing I will add is that like when Austin Theory failed to cash in money in the bank, going for the U.S. title of all things, it just made him look like such a dope. Like, and right. why should I care about this person? And so, then I, I guess theoretically there was supposed to be some redemption then in him winning the U.S. championship after that. But like the way he won it was like, and he kind of snuck his way and kind of stole a triple threat match. It wasn't like some dominating victory where he redeemed himself. And I know he's changed his gimmick up a bit. He's a bit more serious now. He got, he got both his names back, Um, but but it's just kind of, I still just don't, I don't know. I, I feel the same way you do. I just don't see him as this like future top star or anything. And it's just like, okay, John Cena's just gonna have a match against, 
this guy who seems like he's going to be in the mid card for life. Um, so yeah, I'm not very excited for, for this one. Yeah. There's two things going on with theory here. The first is what you mentioned, which is that they kind of, for a guy that they're allegedly like really high on, they do not book him in a way that like kind of protects him at all. He's been, like you said, failing to cash in for the United States championship, failing to like his whole interactions during like the Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley feud, where he was kind of like inserting himself at certain points. But every time he got near one of those guys, they just like obliterated him and they made him look like a loser. Um, even like the, the John Cena, Austin theory interaction that they had where Cena just annihilated him on the mic. Um, and they said that the fan, that they have to pipe in booze for Austin theory, which I probably wouldn't have said because it exposes that trick, but, um, WWE fans sure don't mind. And it's so like they, for a guy that are allegedly high on, they do not protect him or present him like that, but they kind of in the background say like, yeah, Austin theory, he's going to be a, a big new star. Look at him. He's going to wrestle John Cena at WrestleMania. Um, and so that's only, that's part of it. But the other part of it is, and I don't understand why people have such a hard time saying this is that he's not very good. Like he's not <laughs> a star wrestler. Like he's got a, he, so, okay. He's got a good body, but he's not like Dave Batista. Like he's not like this giant, incredible physical specimen that you kind of have to push because look at him. He's just like a guy with a pretty good body. And then he doesn't have charisma. He do- doesn't have superstar charisma at all. At all. Like you put him in that, in that, and that's one of the problems. You put him out there with Cena, who's this legend, who's this Hollywood movie star, who has is just the supernatural speaker and will go out there and he doesn't care. Like this was the thing about like the second half of John Cena's career is that he will go out with a microphone and he just, he'll, he will, he will fuck you up if you're not ready for him. Like we saw him steamroll the Miz. He'll steamroll, he'll go toe to toe with the rock. He'll go toe to toe with anybody. And he will not, he's not going to like give you a lot of the microphone. You need to rise to his level. If you're going to get like a promo battle with him in theory, he's just so far below that level that he had no chance in that interaction with Cena of coming across as an equal. Um, and he's he like he's he's fine as a wrestler, but he's not like an amazing worker that's just going to get over through his work. I just don't see anything there for them, him. The only thing that seems to be good for him is that he's young in a company that has very, very, very few options for potential stars under the age of thirty. So he kind of gets presented as this, you know, future top star, but he brings absolutely nothing to the table to suggest that that's a reality. Maybe he does just get over eventually by attrition where they just push him hard forever, but they can't even get that right because they, they bury him at every chance. I don't think he's got uh, like, he should be John Cena because it's a title match and Cena's part-time, but like Cena might, the way they book Austin theory, Cena's probably just going to hit him with an AA and win in like 10 minutes. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. I think for, for you're totally right about what Cena does on the mic, but it seems like if he was going to go that hard, um, like I don't think he just wants to bury this guy. So it feels like, yeah, he went hard on it to kind of build up interest, but he must like theory must be winning. I mean, otherwise, like if he just, Cena just buries him on the mic and then beats him, it's like, good God. Like, I think Cena even said in that, that again. I think Cena like even said in his promo, like, even if you beat me, it won't mean anything because no one gives a shit about you. Like he basically says that in his promo um he like buries even the concept of of theory beating him um i just think that he didn't he didn't care 
you know, he goes out there and I like this about Cena personally, because I think it forces guys to rise to his level. Um, he, he goes out there and you got to be able to match him. And if you're someone like Kevin Owens, you can do that and you're okay because you're Kevin Owens and you're charismatic and you're comfortable on the mic. Um, it, it's even someone like the Miz who kind of has the delivery of a star, but doesn't have like the content. The, yeah. The content or the cadence really in the, the ability to, to get people to believe in what he's saying. Um, that, that all works against him. And I just, I think like, this is going to open night one because John Cena is, is wrestling in it. It is a big match. Um, but to me, it's, it's totally like, I don't care who wins. Um, it doesn't feel like it could be a big match and it's kind of a waste of John Cena because Cena is someone who, when he comes in and when he wrestles, it should feel like a really big deal. And the fact that he's wrestling yeah. Austin Theory just doesn't feel like that to me because I think of Theory's limitations and how he's been presented. Yeah, well, I mean, imagine if, just as an example, like, imagine if, like, okay, we want to have Cena face, like, a future star that we've been protecting and building. Um, like, imagine the hype if he was just wrestling Gunther. Yes. You know? I mean, he's, he's right there. Like, that would be, like, a really big match, and Gunther would gain a lot from beating John Cena, uh, potentially, you know, not to g g go down the fantasy booking road, but that's just, you know, someone that's kind of parallel with theory in terms of, yeah. you know, someone that they clearly have some plans for. And yeah. If, and if, if, there's if someone just, like that who could gain a lot. Yeah. If we just want to jump to that match, cause I'm, I'm happy to do that because that's a quick one. So, so we have, uh, I, I personally will always call him Walter. I will not call him Gunther, but we have <laughs> him versus Sheamus and Drew McIntyre. That's on night two for the intercontinental championship. And I do feel like maybe like a few months ago, Walter felt like he had a lot of momentum and I don't want to say he has lost that momentum, but I feel like there was a chance for him to do something big at WrestleMania. Maybe that was wrestling John Cena. Maybe that was wrestling Brock Lesnar. Like a lot of people seem to suggest would be a good idea. Um, and him just, he's wrestling Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre, which should be a pretty strong match, but it does kind of feel like Walter's being slotted in at a certain level and it's still in the mid card when he feels like someone that should probably be pushed at a higher level because I think he has a real believability and I think he is getting over with the fans um, with with his work and just with his entire the package and the presence and everything screams main event starts he's worked the main events in every single promotion he's been in um, up until WWE here. Uh, and I think I think like this should be a good match, but I kind of, I I almost kind of wish it was a singles match between Volter and either Sheamus or Drew McIntyre. Either one of them would be fine. I think a triple threat is just kind of like a a way to get all three guys in a match. But I think individually a singles match would be much better. Um, but it does feel like to me like he's he's it's not like they've killed him or anything or they they botched his momentum. But I do feel like WrestleMania was an opportunity to kind of elevate him into a main event level. And maybe they can do that post mania. That's that's probably okay. But this is kind of like a disappointing matchup for for me when you consider some of the other possibilities, especially when you look at who Brock Lesnar's opponent is for the show and who John Cena's opponent is for the show. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Walter is, I mean, he's incredible, and it seems like they actually do believe in him because they do protect him yeah. uh, quite a bit. I, I think Triple but H, it, like his influence. I think Triple H really likes him. In his wrestling style, yeah, and understands it yeah. in a way that Vince McMahon would not. 
Yeah, my hope is they're just, you know, they're just not quite ready to pull the trigger on him yet and elevate him yet. So he's just kind of in a holding pattern. And obviously his history with Sheamus, Sheamus has been in this tag team with Drew. So I can see this being just kind of like, okay, we're not quite ready to, to elevate this guy just yet, but we've got a, you know, a decent idea here for him. Matt should be good. But yeah, I agree in terms of giving him like, this real captivating moment on the biggest show of the year. Like I would have preferred that he just, you know, have a rematch with Sheamus or, you know, face Drew in a, in a singles match. Cause the triple threats always, sometimes they're really great for if, you know, the storylines are really great going into them and there's, you know, thought potential thought potentially that, you know, any one of the three guys can win, but this one, I don't totally feel that way. I think it's just more, all right, we want Gunther to win, but we also don't want to kill Sheamus or Drew um, just yet. Um, so I think this will probably extend post-mania, if I'm guessing, mm -hmm. and this is just kind of, you know, getting them all on the card and getting Gunther a win. Yeah. So let's bounce back to night one here. We've got Seth Rollins versus Logan Paul. They finally made the decision to make Logan Paul an outright heel after presenting him as a babyface, even though the Paul brothers' entire gimmick is that they're heels. Um, and this has been, uh, you know, built around. They've they've built it around. Uh, Logan was Logan Paul eliminated Seth Rollins at the Royal Rumble. Is that right, or is it the other way around? I honestly don't remember. The only thing I remember from the Rumble is Logan doing that awesome spot with Ricochet. That's the only thing that I remember from the Rumble. Right, and then Logan today. interferes in the Elimination Chamber match and costs Seth the match, which sets up this WrestleMania match. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that this has, I mean, this, if you were like handicapping, like what is going to be the best match on the show like or what what show on what match on the show is going to get the most stars from Dave Meltzer um I would say that this would be like a pretty strong candidate probably like one of the three or four favorites if you're looking from night one and night two that's because Logan Paul's been so excellent um in his uh few appearances in the ring and obviously Seth is uh, a tremendous in-ring performer and I'm sure they're gonna have a very well rehearsed match I'm sure they're gonna have a bunch of key spots drilled down um, Seth doesn't make a lot of mistakes in the ring. And I think that they're going to have a potentially really good match. And I think the crowds are going to be into it because I think that they aren't Seth as a wrestler. Per personally, I think Seth is like an incredibly uncool person and his, his character, I just ha has zero appeal to me at all, but I do think he's over with the fans and I think now that Logan Paul is positioned as a heel, which is the accurate position for him, he'll get a lot of heat from the crowd as well. And so this this should be a pretty fun, exciting match from that that perspective. And I'm excited to see what the, what kind of stuff they pull off because this is kind of a match where they might just they might try to do some crazy high spot or something like that. Yeah, one thing that uh, I found interesting about like the celebrity matches, um, you know, not just the ones Logan's in, but like Bad Bunny. Uh, as well is you know often like fans like us you know our complaints about the wwe style is that it's a little too slow paced um and things are a little bit too seem a little bit too laid out and monotonous um at times when they have celebrity matches uh i guess they don't feel like responsible to like uphold the wwe way of doing things because they just go balls to the wall and do some crazy shit so i'm looking forward to this just to see like what they come up with and what kind of crazy stuff they do 
Um, I do agree with you, by the way. I, I absolutely hate Seth Rollins' current character. He's just like a caricature and a cartoon. Um, my theory behind this character is that he came up with something so outlandish that he couldn't he wouldn't care if it got rejected or got the wrong kind of heat. I think that 2019 Hell in a Cell match with Bray Wyatt, like he took that pretty hard than the way the audience reacted to him. And so he just kind of came up with this as a defense mechanism and credit to him. It's, it's worked, but uh, yeah, I hate it um, and don't care about the character, it but makes me I am feel, looking forward to his match. <laughs> it makes me feel old because I just see this guy acting like a clown and I don't understand what his appeal is to the audience. Um, he dresses ridiculous. He talks ridiculous. He seems like someone that I would want to spend absolutely zero time in real life hanging out with. Uh, and yet he, he's he's gotten over as a babyface. And obviously the fans see him as a star because he's been, you know, that Hell in a Cell match ex, uh, uh, aside, he's been protected as a star for the most part. Um, but I just don't understand how he's over uh well yeah he's just yeah he's really he's really talented and he found a way to be different and stand out and give fans things like you know you know they can sing along with his song they can do his gestures and i don't know he's i guess he's in a way he's fun um yeah to me it just rings it just so and those are things like the core ww audience they seem to really like it's not um it's not necessarily like the things that i'm like i love mick foley because you know so much of his character work and things were based in reality and it felt really authentic and convincing and seth has absolutely none of that in his current incarnation so it just he feels really hollow to me but i do respect and think very highly of his ability in the ring so he delivers usually delivers really well um in big spots so i am looking forward to this match but yeah i just don't the build is not something I've been particularly interested in for this one. Yeah. And I don't think the build has been like mistake ridden. Like, I don't think they've, they've like, they've made any real mistakes with the build. It's more of just like, these are both people I don't like. Um, did you see, did you see, <laughs> did you see Will Washington's tweet about how the, he tweeted, he retweeted like the moving graphics that they had for this match and said like, this is a case. This is the one and only case against the moving match graphics because both Seth and Logan were just making like these ridiculous faces and they just felt like these, they just looked super weird. And in my opinion, super uncool. And I was like, yeah, these are two people that I just don't want to see like in real life ever. Um, but in the ring, it should be pretty good. Um, yeah. Hopefully they, hopefully they kill each other. Yes. It'll be great. Uh, Ray Mysterio versus Dominic Mysterio in a very, very long build for this show or for this match and i will say that dominic mysterio like if we're going to talk about if we're going to praise triple h as a booker and we're going to be like triple h should have been the booker of the year or whatever i think like the case of dominic mysterio is a pretty good like like example for him as evidence of his booking ability to book a quality wrestling show because i think that dominic is very limited from a talent perspective but they have found a feud and found a role where he has not only been able to uh, you know, be passable in, but has been uh, a highlight for some people. And 
that he's getting a lot of heat and that people are really interested in seeing him and they want to see Ray beat the crap out of his son. And it's a very effective build for this match. And it feels like I, when you talk about, you know, what do you want to see at WrestleMania? It's like you want every match to kind of be the blow off of a longstanding feud. And this is one that they've been working on for a long time. And again, despite the fact that I think Dominic is pretty limited, like as an interim performer, they found a niche for him and he's at, you know, to his credit, he's done well, like when he's had to cut promos and he's done well as kind of this semi comedic gimmick where no one really believes in him being a tough guy, but he just acts like he's a tough guy and you want to see Ray beat his ass. And, um, not only has that happened, but it's also like a different side of Ray Mysterio. Like Ray Mysterio's career is that he's this very small guy who is the ultimate underdog, who's going to use his speed and agility to score upsets. And this is more like, because he's wrestling his son, people just want Ray to like use his dad's strength to beat the shit out of Dominic. And I think that's a really interesting, you know, character for Ray to be portraying because it's so atypical of what he's done throughout his career. Yeah, Dominic Mysterio is so non-threatening that it makes Ray look like this badass. Um, that's going to kill him. Um, yeah, that's a good summarization of it. The guy who was always the underdog for his entire career um, is now like the has has the physical advantage um, in this matchup, despite the vast age difference, because you know his opponent is so non-threatening. Um, yeah, I mean, I I agree. Dominic is. It's been pretty impressive, honestly, um, how good he's gotten from a character standpoint. He is kind of that, like, slightly comedic, or more than slightly. He is a comedic, like, weak heel that, you know, you do want to see him get beat up. But the thing with those guys is normally they at least can deliver to a certain level in the ring to really make that that payoff really fun. Um, I don't know if he has that ability, but I will say it's kind of cool that he's been able to be put in a very difficult position for someone at his experience level and kind of find a niche um, that works. And, you know, obviously he's there because he's Rey Mysterio's son, but at least he's been able to be, you know, somewhat productive in the role. Um, I'm not very high on his future once he's not working with his dad anymore. But uh, in terms of like... um, nepotism hires and sons of wrestlers and that sort of thing uh i much prefer him to like eric watts or nia Jax or someone like that right and like eric watts was like who he was being kind of compared to before this thing where he was just this guy who was just totally attached to his father and had, brought nothing to the table outside of being raised son and then this is now like an identifiable character for him i think he'll he'll slide back down the card once this feud is over um and it'll probably be like almost like a comedy job heel kind of guy but i it, it just get even him getting to this point as as now he has a highly anticipated match at wrestlemania i think is again like a, it's an impressive job by triple h and the booking team for figuring out how to present this guy with a lot of weaknesses in a way that people are now into and now he's 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 a successful entity i do think i was talking about this with brandon thurston um last week off the air after we recorded wrestlenomics and i was just talking about like you know dominic and the guns are kind of doing very similar characters in the sense that they're both being presented as undeserving 
people who aren't really that good, but have for whatever reason gotten a push and in the guns case gotten titles. Um, and they're playing up the fact that they're, they kind of know that they're not that good, but they're really arrogant. You just want to see them beat, get, get beaten by people you feel who are more deserving. And I think like for AEW, it's much more difficult to get that over to their audience because their audience is so discerning and their audience is going to react to everything week to, on a week to week basis and be really mad that like the guns are getting a push ahead of other people. As opposed to the WWE audience is much more accepting of um, like the, the slow burn and willing to not even not only accept, but even embrace Dominic's work as like the scummy heel that is leading into the fact that fans shouldn't really respect him at all. And I do think that's the difference between the two companies and particularly how the fan bases feel about each company. Like WWE has kind of, their fan base is more willing to accept this kind of um, presentation of a character versus AEW where they're kind of held to a much higher standard when it comes to quality. And sometimes that works against AEW even when they have a, a story to tell related to it. Yeah, I think the key difference with that is really just what the audience prioritizes in each company. Right. Um, you know, in AEW, it's the in-ring work and the guns, you know, they're actually good. Like they are good. They're quite good. They're just not at, you know, if you think about who all the tag team champions have been, you know, they're last, they're dead last on that list in terms of in-ring work. Whereas the WWE audience kind of prioritizes, you know, stuff outside the ring more, which is the things that Dominic is actually good at. So, you know, um, I think that's probably why he's maybe slightly more accepted um, than the relative, on a relative basis uh, than the guns are in AEW. Uh, the Usos will defend their undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship against the recently re-re-re-reunited Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Uh, this is obviously spinning off of the program from last month's uh, Elimination Chamber event where Sami Zayn lost um, his title match against Roman Reigns. And this is kind of what feels like the blow-off between, uh, you know, Sami and the Bloodline, which has been... Uh, some would say, Adam, the greatest wrestling storyline in the history of the industry. Um, I would not say that, but has been a huge story for uh, fans and does this is on night one. And it does feel like it's probably the biggest match on night one and should probably main event the night. I don't think it's going to. We'll get to what will probably be the main event in a second. But this is, again, as far as WrestleMania card is built, a very big match between uh, that that is kind of the culmination of a very long story, and again, the kind of match that you feel like should take place at WrestleMania. Um, is it the match that a lot of people wanted Sami Zayn to be in? I don't think so. But when we get to the when the bell rings and it's and and, and you know it's these two teams squaring up, I do think they'll be over. I think the energy will be high in the audience, and it should probably be a really good match because all these guys are really talented. Yeah, for sure, I agree. This because there's been so much investment in the, this story and Sammy was so hot, um, it has been so hot as an act, um, you know, demonstrably moving ratings and selling tickets. Um, yeah, I agree. This definitely should be the, the headlining match of, of night one. And I think it really, it's the second biggest match of the, uh, of the weekend and not to get hyper. I'm trying not to be hyperbolic because I, by no means is this the greatest storyline WWE's ever took told however i do have something i want to run by you um and again i'm not trying to be hyperbolic and so this is one thing i want to discuss but i think this is the biggest 
WWE Tag Team Championship match in at least 20 years. I don't want to go back to like the Attitude Era when, you know, there's these singles guys like teaming up to win the tag titles against other singles guys because you know i guess maybe some of those matches might have been been bigger but you know post smackdown six era in 2002 i can't think of a tag title match that is higher profile than this one i have a couple candidates though um to run by you and if you can think of any others let me know well i i think i don't think that's a crazy thing to say because i think i heard something similar earlier this week someone i think the most of them might have said this was the biggest wwe tag team championship match of all time um and and again i don't i don't really know if i can think that's fair to say like you can go back and especially if we're talking about like okay are we talking about real tag teams are we talking about like the rock and sock connection and they had a tag team match against like you know triple h and steve austin or something and like that you know it was that kind of match but i think that for sure this is you know like the usos you know both roman roman reigns so roman reigns in this really long title run which i think has been kind of up and down for me as a fan but one thing it has done is it it has made the world title like and who holds that world title feel actually genuinely really important which was something yeah. that was kind of lacking previous to this really long run. And like if Cody beats him, that does feel like a really important, significant moment. And that didn't exist like a few years ago when it kind of felt like the title was being world titles were being tossed around and you couldn't remember who had which title. And it was just, it wasn't like a good lineage for the title to make you feel like each the title was that significant. And I think to a, a lesser extent, the Usos kind of being this dominant tag team and having, you know, unifying the tight tag team championships and things like that have helped make the tag team championships feel more important than they have in a long time in WWE. So that alone is going to get you a lot further when you're looking back in like recent WWE history where the tag team titles have almost never been taken that seriously. Uh, and then you throw in that Kevin, you know, the storyline, which is Sami Zayn, you know, being very upset with the Usos and kind of the history between him and the bloodline and how long that has been going on. Um, I think that, that this is like, I can't, I, you have other candidates. I can't even think of any. Yeah. So these are the other can So there's only one really that I would think say is d- debatable, but I'll start with um, my third place one. Um, so again, this is just the last 20 years of just looking, I was just looking through the tag title histories and jogging my memory to see, like, what are the kind of the biggest matches? Um, in 2017, the New Day and the Usos had, like, their series of matches um, going back and forth that culminated in, you know, a Hell in a Cell match. Um, I think this weekend is definitely bigger than that, but that was one that certainly got a, a lot of attention um, uh, at the time. So that, that, that one's worth mentioning. The next one, we have to go back 10 years uh the shield versus goldust and cody uh, do you remember this one uh, yeah like dusty was actually involved in that you know? yes dusty got um, over um stephanie mcmahon in one of the promo segments and that was the end of dusty on television <laughs> yes yes it was but they they had an awesome match and it felt really meaningful you know when uh when uh goldust and, and cody won that so but again you know that was like i think that was a battleground pay-per-view that that match uh happened on so obviously you know being one of the top matches at a WrestleMania, um, higher profile than that. So the only real candidate that I could find where it might be debatable, this was, uh, I don't know if it was the main event, but it was arguably the biggest uh, match on a pay-per-view. 2009, Degeneration X versus Jericho. 
So Jericho and Big Show had been the tag champions for like five, six months. Um, and then to face Triple H and Shawn Michaels um, in one of the biggest matches on the pay-per-view, I think it was TLC. Um, so that's a case of like, you know, the tag team titles were like the real main event um, of a pay-per-view with big stars involved. But that's yeah. really the only one I can come up with that's even debatable at all. Yeah, I guess I remember, you know, another one, I guess now you're jogging my memory would be um, the, that for like, I think like a few months before it was the uh, Shawn Michaels, Triple H's DX versus Legacy, Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase Jr. inside Hell in a Cell. That was the main, I remember that being the main event of a pay-per-view. Probably, I think it was the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that was, I don't, I don't think that was a title match, but that was a big, that was a big tag team are match. We sure? But yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's a, that's a, that was a title match because I remember that being maybe. like a thing because like the, the world title match was kind of like meh. Uh, and the, um, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking up right now. Uh, oh, what? Maybe it wasn't. It was that Hell yeah, in Cell I think that, 2009. Yeah, I think that. I think it was just a tag team Hell in a Shell match because that was during the uh, Chris Jericho and Big Show title run. Um, okay, yeah. I but see that's, that that, that's a good point, though. Like, D-Generation X, they had, had been having tag matches, you know, which built them up as a team. And then Jericho and Big Show were, like, this dominant tag team. So when they actually faced off, it was like, oh, this is, this is a big deal. You know, it's kind of a, you know, if anybody can beat Jericho and Big Show, it's DX. So, yeah, but that's had- the last time I... I I really remember thinking like the tag titles were like this main event thing. Yeah, Jericho beat Batista and Rey Mysterio as a tag team earlier. That what a what a what a what a pay per view for tag team wrestling there. Like all the big stars were in these tag teams. Um, Yeah, it might have been the first and last time that that ever happened um, this century. Undertaker defeated CM Punk in a ten minute Hell in a Cell match. Oh yeah, that was when Punk was getting punished for like. He said something about uh, he didn't want to follow the dress code like while on tour somewhere in Europe or something. Um, yeah, so that was the, the real locker room leader taught him a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Three Hell in a Cell matches on that show because we also had Randy Orton versus John Cena in a, I'm sure, a, a, a very memorable Hell in a Cell match. I'm sure everyone remembers exactly what happened in that match. Um, and then finally, and then the main event was DX versus. Legacy. Yeah, the other one I was thinking of, and again, this wasn't a tag, it wasn't a tag team title match, was the John Cena versus in the Rock versus um Our Truth in the Miz at Survivor Series like 2009 or 2010 when um 2011. Was, uh I, I was at that show. That's yeah, what I remember. That was at Madison Square Garden. And that was the Rock's first match in like six years or seven years or something like that. So um that was one, but you're right. I think you're, I don't think that's a crazy suggestion that this that this Usos versus Owens and Zayn match is the biggest tag team championship match in a very long time, um, and that's really a credit to like the work that Sami Zayn and the Usos have done. Uh, the, my whole thing with this, my like my real thing is that like I don't care at all about Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn getting together. Like, they, it, they, yeah, they, it, they've broken up and reunited so many times like doing it again is kind of like okay like we've seen this before yeah um, and they dragged it out in like the you know like in the weeks leading up to the wrestlemania where they had like oh kevin owens said he wasn't on sammy's own oh zane's side i'm like can we cut this bullshit can he just say he's on his team because we know that's gonna happen and like uh we we don't need to actually hear about this like you know we don't have to pretend that kevin owens isn't gonna tag with sammy zane because we know where that's going and i just i don't care about Sammy need to convince Kevin Owens and 
Probably going to turn on them again, yeah. but it's the same way. It's like, I don't, I know these guys have broken up and gone back together so many times that like, I understand that like Sammy's asking for his, his help for this one very personal feud. And there's a story there, but to me, it's like, I've seen this story played out a million times with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I kind of wish they never wrestle. I hope they never wrestle ever again, to be honest. I don't need to see them do the Fry and Takayama spot for the 10 millionth time. Like, I'm good. I think they could, their their last matches of one of their, you know, one of their careers, or maybe both their careers should be against each other. But yeah, outside of that, I don't need to see it again. Well, they're probably going to be one feuding thing- this summer, so... We're gonna get <laughs> one thing I did just want to note on Kevin Owens, though, um, like 2019, if you recall, he was supposed to be Daniel Bryan's opponent at Mania before Kofi Kingston got hot um, and ended up in that spot. That, I don't know if he got left off the show entirely, but he might have or he just wasn't, you know, in any sort of significant spot on the show. And then, uh, you know, here we are four years later and he had a main event against Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then this year is tagging with Sammy on the hottest match on, you know, one of the nights in a stadium with 60,000 people. So, uh, you know, he's had a very up and down career in WWE, but man, the guy's immensely talented and has definitely found a way to, to make it work there and be like, I think more successful probably than anyone who was his fan could ever have imagined in WWE. Yeah, I mean, I, well, his introduction was fantastic. It's one of the best things WWE's done in like the last like 15 years is like his whole feud with John Cena and how they presented him as such a big deal. Um, and I mean, I, I've always I've always I've been a huge fan of his just his natural talent, his in-ring talent, his confidence on the mic, his ability to take WWE like scripted promos and make them actually sound good. Uh, that to me has always been uh, a highlight for him. And yeah, like I can't say that he's been like just grossly misused in WWE, but I always I always kind of feel like he he could have been one of like the really, really big gigantic stars if he had been protected a little bit more. And if he he's he's always been kind of like a like a like an upper tier mid card guy, but never really the super duper pushed guy, except for that one time when he was kind of like Triple H's chosen one, which um outside of that, he's just he's always been kind of like an upper mid-card guy to me. That's that he can be in the main event, but he hasn't always been protected like a main eventer. And I think that's kind of held yeah. back a little bit. Yeah, that's what I mean. I guess uh, like when he was Kevin Steen in the Ring of Honor, I always thought he was absolutely incredible. And like the sky was the limit with what he could potentially do. Um, I just never thought WWE would actually, you know, because he looks the way he does. Um, I never thought like they would actually use him in any sort of super high profile things. But yeah, he's so I've just been really pla- to that. Yeah, to that I've just been really, really pleasantly surprised by how just how successful um, he's been there, which come a long way from, you know, being on Cole Cabana's podcast, pondering retirement in like 2012, 2013. So yeah. Well, like think about like how that company handled Chris Hero. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. compare that to, to Owens's career. It's a huge difference. And they were signed probably around close to the same time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not too. Uh, I think Hero, uh, it, it was, you know, it was within a couple of years of each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Hero was in earlier than 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 Kevin was, but but like as far as like a guy who like you know didn't look the part that they wanted them to, uh, you know Owens's career is is you know far out out outpaced Chris Hero's career, and a lot of people would argue that Chris Hero is more talented than Kevin Owens. Um, those people wouldn't be me, but 
a lot of people <laughs> me me either but uh yeah you know it's it's interesting to see just like all those awesome indie guys you know from the 2000s and um, early 2010s and just kind of where they've ended up and how drastically different some of their um careers have turned out even though you know you'd say they're relatively in the same ballpark talent wise at the time but, yeah uh, yeah uh, so, so because so many have gone wrong i'm just really happy to see one that's that's gone really well yes well night two brock lesnar versus omas uh an interesting use of brock lesnar to say the least on this show um i mean the feud has been relatively straightforward people don't know if Brock Lesnar, like, I guess, like, Brock Lesnar's struggling with the confidence to, like, pick up Omos or something. That seems to be the feud that they're selling. Um, the, everyone seems to just be in agreement that this is just so Brock Lesnar can give Omos, like, an F5 in, like, a German suplex. And they can put that, like, on the cover of, like, of the, in the intro video package for Raw or something like that. Um, I think Brock Lesnar's, like, I, I'm, I'm okay with Brock Lesnar, like, not being in the main event in kind of like a different phase of Brock Lesnar's career. But again, much like John Cena, like I, I think there's really nothing to be gained than in this feud with Omos. And wouldn't it be great if Brock Lesnar wrestled like, like a smaller guy and he could have like a really good match as opposed to this is just going to be like a clunky five minute match built around like two spots that they really struggled to get to maybe like a little MVP shenanigans. There's going to be like a two minute period where Omos is getting heat on Brock Lesnar and the crowd is just going to be completely dead. Uh, I can just, I just, I can see it happening so far. It's like Omos is going to be like having Brock Lesnar in the corner and he's going to like give him like a, like a chop and then Brock's going to collapse. And then the announcers are going to be like, Oh my God, we've, we've never seen Brock Lesnar manhandled like this. I, I could just see the entire match unfolding right in front of me, and it's not particularly exciting. Yeah, um, I guess this is the Vince McMahon offer match, um, like just the most clear influence, because um, this did not seem to be the direction that they were going in. Like Omos wasn't even really around that much, um, the, you know, the last few months um, prior to you know this ma- this match with Brock. Um, uh, kind of being built so I, I have nothing I'm not sure though Jesse I I don't they might I mean is I think it was up to Triple H maybe he would just release Omos because he didn't seem to have any sort of plans for him before this so I could see Brock just killing this guy and then almost being almost being part of the releases um post mania uh so like I don't know like I could see it going the way you do when they drag it out a bit, but if Brock Lesnar showed anything over the years, it's that his matches do not follow the typical um, WWE, you know, match layout. So this could just be a squash and Omos is going to be gone after this, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's the, that's the intrigue for me. uh, Well, I definitely think Brock Lesnar is going to win the match and it's not going to be, very long. I don't know if it's going to be a squash. I think there's going to be moments where Omos gets offenses in, offense in, like I said. I, I would be surprised if they released him just because I think they like, you know, WWE and Vince, not just Vince, but it seems like everyone in WWE, like they like the idea of just having like this incredibly large person around for like uh, public appearances and PR reasons and things like that. They always loved having, you know, the big show and Greg Kali, and they don't really have anyone like that except for Omos. Um, 
And I think they like the idea of having him show up at certain things. I think that he is, uh, you know, a native of Africa is kind of important to them in the sense that they like the, they're trying to increase their footprint on a global scale and having someone who was born in Nigeria um, is probably worth it. Uh, so I, I would be surprised if they keep, if he gets released, but he's kind of this guy, you know, he's in a weird position where they, 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 they don't want to completely job him out, but they also understand that he's can't really be put in like a main event position because he's not, he's just does, he's not going to get there in the ring where people are going to really care to see him in that kind of spot. Um, so they kind of have to have him as kind of like this sideshow kind of disconnected figure who, I guess this is like one of the few things he's really going to be used in a key spot, which is so brought to create, you know, create a WrestleMania moment where Brock Lesnar picks him up. Um, but of course we've seen Brock Lesnar, like F5, the big show before. So like, I'm, I, I, as a viewer, like don't really care that Brock Lesnar is going to pick up this man and, and give him a move. Uh, Vince McMahon might not remember that. So he's excited for this one. The um, edge versus the demon. Finn Balor. Um, this has had a long feud, you know, dating back to, you know, Finn Balor kind of resting control of Judgment Day away from Edge um, and then putting Edge on the shelf in that I quit match. Uh, and so they're doing a Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania. Uh, do we didn't, do we, do we have Hell in a Cell? Yeah, we're going to have Hell in a Cell, I think, as a pay-per-view this year. Um but this is the first Hell in a Cell uh, match at WrestleMania. Is this the first one since John Cena and um, or not uh, the Undertaker and Shane McMahon? At, Wrest at WrestleMania, yeah, I can't think of any other ones that have happened. I mean, I think they've pretty much just really, for the most part, they've relegated them to that specific show um, in recent years, and I haven't had too many outside of it. So, I think that's probably right. And so, um. Edge, since he's come back, I was a, like a pretty big fan of Edge, like in his prime. And I was, uh, you know, when Edge came back to wrestling, I was like, oh, cool, Edge is coming back. I'm excited to see this. I just don't think he has it. I don't think, I think whatever happened, whatever he's done since he, you know, he got into acting after wrestling and he just seems lost. Like he doesn't know what kind of character he wants to portray. He doesn't know what he's kind of supposed to be doing, which is a weird thing to say because. Everyone respects his like in-ring IQ and his ability to lay out matches and things like that. But he all he feels like he's always trying to come across like as this thespian performer. And he doesn't quite like get it in that like he 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 cuts these promos where he makes all these faces into the camera and it feels like he's overacting the entire time and over emoting. And he he just comes across as unbelievable. Um in that kind of setting. And this feud has been him hamming it up because now he's got to be, he's got to go to that place and he's got to fight the demon Finn Balor and it's going to be hell in a cell. And it's just, he's probably, it's probably going to be a really long match because edge tends to have really long matches now. Um, and he wants to put together this dramatic performance and it just hasn't clicked for me um, since he came back. And I don't expect this match to be any different. These are two guys that I like individually um, and I have been a fan of over the years. 
but I concur with your assessment of Edge's comeback. Let me ask you this. What was the thing that really set Edge's career as a singles guy post-Edge and Christian? What was the thing that really set his career on fire and elevated him like into the main event? It might be slightly before your time, but I think you're probably aware of it. It is going to be. So what, what took off? Well, he... So after his feud with Christian, right? He has the TLC match with Christian. No, uh, so this is so just like pre slightly before his, what slightly before his money in the bank um cash in on John Cena. I think it was 2005. Like what was his big feud in 2005? It with, involved with, with someone he managed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Edge has Edge's career took off because he was really convincing uh at being a dick (laughs) like he was great at things based in reality and he would have these great like lines to insult even when he was an edging christian you know he'd come up with creative ways to insult like the sports teams like unexpectedly Mm -hmm. um you know normally that was pretty lame but he would come up with fun ways to do it so when when he's able so his career was always great when he was able to do things like that were reality based and he could just be a dick and come up with, you know, things that would, you know, kind of cut close to home. Um, Modern WWE, that doesn't happen. Like everything's big and over the top and, you know, the fiend is running around and even this judgment day feud, like they just turned on him randomly after he had beaten Finn Balor's team, like I think at the the pay-per-view the night before and then on Raw, they just kicked him out of the group. So in terms of like storytelling and logic, there's really nothing for him to sink his teeth into. Uh, So he's just kind of treating this as like, you know, some type of movie or TV show that he would act on and it's kind of campy. So he's really hamming it up and playing it up. And yeah, it's just disconnected from absolutely everything that made him a star in the first place. Yeah. Um, Well, I think that's really my take on why he hasn't landed um, for the majority of his comeback. Yeah, I I get this impression that I think he he you know he's come out of retirement and he's like, and and I and I credit him. I credit the motivation because we see a lot of guys come out come out of retirement or they come. They come back and they just want to play the hits and they're going to do what they were known for in the past. And that Edge could have got by doing that, but he really wanted to do something different and he wanted to do something great. And I do think he approaches kind of every single feud and match as he's like, I've got to make this this epic, amazing thing that everyone's going to be talking about for years in the future. Um, And he's kind of gone too far, like as far as like trying to um, put drama into every single thing he does. And it hasn't really worked out for him because it comes across as overdramatic in a lot of cases and just like too long. And I don't care. Like, I think like his WrestleMania match with, with Randy Orton, the famously bad one. Um, I, I think of the, the, the Chinese water torture match. Uh, <laughs> like it's like, that was kind of indicative because he's like, I me and Randy are going to go out there. and We're going to have like this amazingly dramatic, incredible backstage brawl fight thing. And it was, we, we got it and it was this bloated mess. And that's where I feel like a lot of his matches have been. It's just, he's trying so hard to be dramatic and he's trying so hard to create something memorable and he's pushing it too far in a way that he didn't 
do it when you talked about him like kind of originally getting over. And the funny thing is contrasting that with what, you know, Christian Cage has done in AEW, which is largely stick to that formula from 20 years ago. And he's, his performance is much more believable um, in that, in that sense, because, because of, you know, he's not pushing it too far the way I think Edge has. Um, who do you think should win this match? Like if you're the booker, who, who should win this match? Ooh, I think it probably depends on what the hell you're going to do with Edge after this. Like, uh, I believe his, he said in an interview that his SummerSlam might be like the end of his deal. Um, or that might be like around the time his deal's up. Um, so yeah, I don't know if like Finn Balor's the guy that you want to put over him at this point. Cause Finn's kind of, I mean, he's good, you know, um, he's not getting better. And I feel like he's kind of already peaked. Um, so I feel like Edge probably should win this. And then, you know, you give someone heat, you know, maybe Gunther as an example, um, but give someone heat by, you know, sending Edge packing um, at the end of his deal um, and sending him into retirement. And maybe he comes back and then you can do a rematch down the road or something. But I think I, I can't see this being like, oh, Finn Balor wins the Hell in a Cell match and like ends Edge's WWE career. Um, so yeah, I think Edge probably should win. I, I see. Now Finn Finn did win the I Quit match, but this has been a weird feud where I don't think Finn has gotten a lot out of it in the sense of it. Like you mentioned, the biz, I completely forgot about it, but the bizarre way that this feud started, which is where <laughs> yes. Edge leads Judgment Day to victory. They beat Finn Balor's team, and then they Judgment Day turns on uh, Edge and takes Finn Balor as their leader with really no good explanation. It was more of just Edge didn't want to be a part of Judgment Day anymore. Um, well, yeah, the ex the explanation was uh, creative wanted them to become a supernatural stable. Edge did not want to be in a supernatural stable. Right. So they kicked Edge out, replaced him with Finn Balor, and then didn't turn them into a supernatural stable anyway. Yeah, and that's a shoot. That's the shoot explanation. Like we never, I don't think, got like a good storyline explanation for why these guys illogically turned no. on the guy who helped them beat this other guy. And so, and then I just think in throughout the Judgment Day's existence, Finn has somehow become at best the third most important person in the group as far as from like where the focus has been um, behind Ray Ripley and behind Dominic. And so I don't think he's really gotten a lot out of it. And you're right to say, like, I don't think, like, Finn's 41 years old, okay? Is this the guy you're going to really put over Edge in a big way? But I also don't think Edge needs to beat this guy. Like, uh, Edge can lose to him. Like, Edge won the – I don't know why Edge in Beth Phoenix won the mixed tag match at Elimination Chamber against Ray Ripley and Finn Balor, especially given where Ripley was going after that match. Um so part of me thinks that, and especially because Finn is the demon, and I guess you want to protect that character more than you necessarily want to protect just a regular Finn Balor character, even though I think the demon was absolutely murdered in that Roman Reigns match and is never will never be the same since. Uh, yeah. And so like, I guess I, it really, like, I'll just say it just comes down to who do you have bigger plans for moving forward? Have that person win. It's really as simple as that. And I don't, I don't know what their right. plans are necessarily. And I also, who, whoever, yeah. Well, and I think, and I also think, okay, uh, let's, say, let's say Cody beats Roman Reigns. What heels do you have ready for Cody to wrestle? Um, if Cody's going to have like a long title run, which I think would be probably the right move, who is going to be ready to wrestle Cody? I think like, you know, Seth is a baby face now. 
uh, Kevin Owens is a babyface now. Uh, who who do you have ready to go? You look at these cards and you're like, okay, is it going to be Austin Theory? Um, is it going to be Dominic? Uh, you know, probably maybe maybe Valter. Uh, maybe Brock Lesnar if you want to do something like that. But Finn would be a logical person, I think, for Cody to feud with once he gets wrapped up with Roman Reigns. If you kind of protect Finn here, and you could do that by giving him a big win in a Hell in a Cell match at, at WrestleMania. Um, so I think there's an opportunity to get him there, uh, especially if Edge is going to be a babyface going forward, just because it seems like they're pretty light on the heel side outside of the bloodline. Yeah, um, and until until Jay White debuts on Raw. Yeah, um, that's that's. I mean, that's also a possibility. I don't. That'd be interesting if they was... if they took Jay White and put him immediately into a, a like a championship feud. I think I don't. I wouldn't be against it, but that would be very atypical of the way I think WWE would approach things. They kind of did that with AJ Styles, though. Um, I mean, well, he a, had his feud AJ with Jericho had a, first. Yeah, but, th- and that's what I could see but, them doing with Jay White, which is like Jay White has like this feud to kind of establish himself and then be challenges for the title. I think if they just brought him in and like, you know, maybe that's Triple H being in charge. Um, but I, I, I would never see a Vince-led re- regime just being like, yeah, let's take this guy who uh, m- many of our fans are not going to know who he is. Um, and like selling is he going to immediately sell as as a, as a credible challenger to cody he's literally just a random guy to a lot of people um it seems like wwe's attitude would be more like to introduce him with some other feud and then move him upwards um yeah probably you're probably right but yeah. i guess it's either i guess barring something like that where they're bringing someone unexpectedly um you know you might be right maybe that maybe finn balor will win because you know he could be the if cody's winning then he might be the, the first challenger that does make sense uh, Braun Strowman and Ricochet versus the Street Profits, Alpha Academy, and the Viking Raiders. I have absolutely nothing to say about this match, and I hope it's over very quickly. That is a match. You know, it might actually be kind of good because there's a lot of good workers in it to a degree, but it is, it's also like if we talk about this tag team division in WWE, and we talk about how big that Usos versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn match, which it is, but you look at the rest of the tag teams that are in WWE right now, and it's I wouldn't say it's a, an exciting group of, of teams. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see what role the male models will play in this. Are you? You're actually interested in that? During the match. Yeah. No, I am not, but that is something that I expect to probably happen. Yeah, I think I think point. the thing everyone is waiting is to figure out if they're ever actually going to push Montez Ford as a singles star. And if he did, would that require him turning on Dawkins? Um, which I think would kind of be a mistake. I would push Ford as a baby face, and I would not have. I would have him become kind of organically become a single star with Dawkins as like his tag team partner and friend, but focusing more on Ford as a star, a single star, as opposed to him just wrestling tag team matches but i don't know when they'll pull the trigger on montez ford he seems like a guy that has potential but they he's i think part of me thinks he's been slotted into a certain slot and it's not at the top of the card um despite his potential and his uh, potential ability as a top star um yeah i'd I'd agree if they're going to do something like that though don't do it on this show which is already kind of stacked just save that for like the raw the next night um that's just to give him a little bit more shine and focus so we haven't talked about any of the women's matches so far. Um, and I wanted to kind of wrap up looking at the card through talking about these women's matches. And um, 
holy crap has as much as i've enjoyed i think a lot of the build for wrestlemania as far as how focused it has been i think triple h and wwe's you know management have totally dropped the ball in the women's division i think that they have they have three women's matches on these shows i think all of them suck um oh they have four i'm sorry they have four four i think all of them suck i think the build for all of them has sucked and i think it's a total waste of some very talented people and i don't understand what went wrong we'll start with bianca belair versus oscar um this feud has been built on the idea i guess that oscar is really weird and she's got like goop (laughs) coming out of her fucking mouth and bianca is despite the fact that bianca's whole character is that she's very confident storyline seems to be that bianca doesn't know what she's going to do against this weirdo oscar um and it's been as i i just think bianca i think is really talented i think she's done a really good job and every time ww has asked her to deliver in a big spot but i just don't think her the and i don't want to say her her booking is not bad but the booking around everyone around her has been bad and the it's the and that leads to a lack of credible challengers and has led to her title reign which is now a year long being fairly unmemorable despite the fact that i think her performance has been pretty sharp yeah this match is it's just weird um like oscar is someone who uh, I mean, she's immensely talented, obviously. And this gimmick change that she's done is interesting to some degree, but it hasn't been accompanied by like a real change in her character. Like if she went through some sort of transformation and was just like this brutal heel who's massacring people, um, you know, like squashing them and being vicious. And then you kind of have this new vicious version of Asuka going against Bianca, who's held the championship for a year. Like that's something that people you know, I think could have really been into. Um, but they haven't done that with her. Like, she's just kind of been around the past year and won the Elimination Chamber match, which is how she got the title shot. But that only goes so far when someone's been in title matches on and off for the past year anyway, never won any of them. And, you know, and like literally a fresh coat of paint um, isn't necessarily going to, to captivate everyone. It's also like a big change for Bianca's character because like in 2021, she had that, match against Sasha which is you know she's the underdog she's trying to win the championship for the first time um and then last year she was looking for redemption after Becky Lynch had squashed her at SummerSlam um so she's kind of always been the underdog but now you know she's been the champion for a year so like she's not the underdog anymore like now she's the favorite and they needed to build someone up to you know seem like a convincing challenger and this just feels more like some sort of match that they would just do on like a random, you know, B-show pay-per-view as opposed to WrestleMania. Yeah, there's just nothing here for the feud. It was, I don't know, I don't, it's lazy booking, it's boring booking, it's just there was no real connective tissue um, put into the the match and the feud as far as what we're going to sell this as. It just feels like Bianca Belair's having another title offense and it's against Asuka who... I don't know what to say about Asuka's character. I do. I feel like at different times she's found a way, despite the fact that she doesn't speak English that well, she's found a way to get 
like over and not not get over because I think there's plenty of wrestlers who don't speak English that could get over, but more of just like a way to get over with like Vince and get over with WWE's like style by just really leaning into just being a weirdo and 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 make, dancing around weird and shouting. You know, she's speaking in Japanese, but in Vince McMahon's mind, she's speaking nonsense. Like it's been she's presented herself in a way that gets to get over in like Vince McMahon's purview, but I think it's kind of done her as like an overall personality that's like interesting to me a disservice because it just seems like she's kind of like this random like crazy person that you see you know walking down the street <laughs> as opposed to like a real like interesting character that could be unpacked there yeah i mean it's it's just all aesthetic they haven't i think her char- she's an incredibly charismatic performer yes. and is very captivating um it's just they don't back that up by putting her in situations that give depth to the character which is not a problem unique to her but when you know as you pointed out you know she doesn't she she doesn't cut a lot of English promos um which is just like a kind of a they are heavily dependent on being able to cut English promos for WWE's version of storytelling um, so it definitely does her a disservice, but yeah, I agree. Just, there's not a whole lot of thought put into this. I don't even really know what the storyline is other than Oscar's weird and they're going to have a title match. Um, so I, hopefully the matches get out because Oscar's awesome and Bianca's had some really good matches over the yeah, years. So I'm hopeful a- that the match will be a pleasant, you know, be a pleasant surprise in the it, highlight of the show. It should be a good match. I'm thinking... Like, Bianca's been champion for a year. Like, do you think, like, if she lost the title, that would feel big at all? I I think this is probably the start of a program between the two of them. Um, So I'm not sure. I don't think it would feel like this massive thing, especially because it's Asuka who's already had the championship before. But it could be the start of, like, a a really good program between the two of them. I do hope that, like... uh, if they are going to do an extended program, then Oscar wins this to give it more weight moving forward. Because if like, remember Nakamura and AJ, like if Oscar, I mean, I guess they can't do nut shots for this one, but if Oscar just does something to like get disqualified and now she's like this dastardly heel, I think that's going to be a pretty huge disappointment for everyone involved. So if is if this is the start of something, I think Oscar should win. So the other women's championship match, uh, this one is probably going to be the main event of night one uh, for some reason. Uh, Charlotte Flair versus Ray Ripley, a completely bizarre feud for a number of reasons. Let's we'll start. I'll start with Rhea because Rhea has had a really strange like last like six months or so where she, as a member of Judgment Day, she really started to really get over um mainly doing stuff outside of like women's wrestling matches a lot of it was her interactions with male talent like things like giving you know the gallows a body slam and stuff like that um i think really helped her get over to a greater degree and it seemed like she was getting a lot of like organic momentum as a baby face and she won the royal rumble and i felt like she'd be better off as a baby face now but they've decided to keep her as a heel and it it kind of feels like despite the fact that she won the Royal Rumble and now she's challenging for a title at WrestleMania, she kind of feels a little bit cold compared to where she was a few months ago when she was kind of doing those spots and the matches with Judgment Day and things like that. People were kind of getting into the idea of her wrestling a guy. Um, 
And she's now, you know, she's still a heel. And it felt like it probably would have been a good idea to make her a baby face. And that's especially because she's wrestling Charlotte Flair, who probably has to be a heel at this point, but is also somehow a baby face. So it's a it's a mixed up role between the two women. Um, and also Rhea feels like she's maybe being misused uh, in a certain way at being still a, being still a heel for this feud. I don't even know where to begin with this one. Um, I'll just I'll just put it this way again. I don't want to go down the fantasy booking path too far, but imagine if you just had Rhea Ripley if they wanted to keep her a heel. Um, think about how big like if they just had her face Bianca who held the title for a year. Like that's where that I thought like they were going. Match. Yeah, that's where yeah, I thought but... they were going for WrestleMania when when Rhea won the where I'm, I'm like, oh, that's good because now that's this is a though these are I think the two like if we like get rid of we get rid of like the four horsewoman and Asuka and people from like that era of WWE's women's division. Um, you know, and, and most of them are still around and prevalent. And Charlotte's one of them. But if we just get rid of those people, these are the two obvious, like, big next stars in the women's division. These are the new generation of women's wrestlers in WWE, and these are their two biggest stars. And Rhea has kind of organically gotten over, and she is a, you know, this this great physical opponent for Bianca. And you're right, I think that would be a really nice WrestleMania match that would feel big and important. Uh, as opposed to splitting them up, and now they're in lesser programs, despite the fact that they're both in title matches on separate nights at WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason this match is happening is that Triple H can redeem himself from 2020, um, where Charlotte beat Rhea um, for the NXT title at Mania, and then I think dropped it to you know, Sky in a triple threat match. Um, where Rhea got pinned. So Charlotte, like she was NXT champion. Well, Triple again. H told yeah. us that he had plans for, for, for <laughs> people should well, be mad because there were plans coming and our, our feeble it, minds couldn't possibly comprehend the brilliance of Triple H. Um, and well, we all just had to give it time. And of course it became kind of a meme about, uh, you know, the lack of plans, I guess, or plans changing. So, so anyway, um, yeah, this was the storyline he had thought up uh, all, all, all those years ago that's playing out now before us. Um, yeah, we just needed to, so, to have faith in tri that Triple H would gain creative control again through Vince McMahon having to resign through a sex scandal. And this, this is the all part of the plan. Yep, all, all part of the plan. Um, I guess the thing I'll say with about Rhea is... I, I believe she and so uh, Arturo, um, American Numbers, who um, contributes to, to VOW, um, mm -hmm. him and somebody else whose name I can't remember, track screen time um, on WWE shows. And she is by far the most heavily featured woman on the shows uh, in terms of screen time because she's in Judgment Day and is in all their segments in addition to you know having her own women's matches um at times so even though she hasn't necessarily been like winning a ton of women's matches on tv she's just heavily and prominently featured and does a lot of really impressive things and i thought a royal rumble performance even though the match isn't necessarily you know the best royal rumble we've ever seen um i thought her performance in that was was great and really made her seem like a star so her and also her redeeming herself um from losing to charlotte a few years ago um all that sets up for like hey this should be like a big thing, right? The problem is that 
like everything on her Rhea's side is fine, but she's still the heel and they're keeping her as a heel, even though she's like both the exciting, uh, the more exciting performer, the more fresh performer. And she has the sympathy from the prior loss as well. Whereas Charlotte literally just came back from injury, waltzed up to Ronda Rousey, who had just had a match and then beat up, beat Ronda who was a heel who just had a match and I'm supposed to like her why exactly after all that like I just I don't understand inherently like why I should be rooting for Charlotte in this scenario at all Um, especially because she's kind of you know she's like the female Roman Reigns like she's always featured heavily she's always win she's always wins she has the how many times I don't even is she up to like 15 championship reigns at this point or like she's gonna like pass her dad whether obviously that's not the same thing at all it's a false equivalency but it's just like she's like the establishment so like why am I supposed to root for her against this younger fresher more interesting performer who is looking to redeem herself. Like the the booking and the face heel alignment is just totally screwed up. And that's what's cooled this match off so much from what it, what Rhea's match should have been or how how much bigger it should be for the show. Yeah. Charlotte and the Charlotte situation, I think is uh, problematic for WWE right now because uh, she is stale as a performer i think she's been on top for too long she's had the title too many times i don't think there's really anything that she can do to get people that excited about her matches without a drastic change in her character which has never existed she's been the exact same character since the moment she debuted on the main roster and uh i you know she went away for a long time misses months and comes back and she's just still stale and it's still the same thing and it's hard for fans to get invested in her stuff right now and i just don't see that um ever really improve like i don't know what she can do to, to well i mean it's not she, but even if she's a heel like the it would be like you know the dynamic would be better because she can get booed and that's okay as opposed to her getting booed as a baby face, which is just deaf. But I still think that the, the it, it's still like kind of go away heat in the sense that I think people are just sick of Charlotte and they're sick of Charlotte always having the title and always being in title matches. And I don't really know what can be done outside of like a really big repackaging of her to, I think, increase her shelf life. I think she's just expired as a performer in WWE. Uh, yeah, my... I, I don't, I would hedge that a little bit. I think they, they, I think what they could do is put her in a tag team, have them, have them be tag team champions for a long time. And then that could eventually lead to a split with her and some, like, say like Raquel is someone that they've pushed and shown interest in. Like if they did like some sort of Charlotte and Raquel tag team that eventually led to a split and then they feud over the singles title. Like I could see something like that, you know, uh, could we just talk? talked about like Jericho like that that came after like Jericho had been in the main event scene you know for the past couple of years then it was like oh okay we'll put him in a tag team and then he elevated the tag titles because he was such a big star um so I think was comparing Chris Chris Jericho's (laughs) ability to reinvent himself versus Charlotte's ability to reinvent himself is like it's I I don't know like uh Steve Jobs ability to program a computer versus my ability to program a computer 
Yeah, I didn't. It's not so much reinvention. I meant more just like put her in the tag team division, so at least she can do something different, and then that can help get somebody else over potentially and lead to a feud there. But I agree. Like just having her win the title and lose it and go back and forth over and over again is just not. It's not even just so much it's stale. It's that she is limited. She does have limitations as a performer, which people don't. I mean, some people like to talk about it. Other people don't. Uh, that are well, I think she's her, regressed. Like, she's regressed in some ways, which is a, a problem. Yeah, I mean, just as an example, like just look at how she handled the what chance that she got recently to how Jungle Boy handed them, uh, handled them earlier this week. Yeah, um, I mean, it's she's, just yeah, I, I, that's more of like an that's more troubling because I think that's more of like without like getting too far into it, like kind of like an attitude issue. Like she seems kind of like she's pissed that she's here and she just, she wanted to, she didn't want to be a performer in front of the audience any, in a certain way. So she felt like frustrated in, in that, to that end. And, um, and so I think that that's, that's a bigger, I think issue, but I agree that I just think it's hard for her to be in the main event pitch. Like they're going to make her, her, this is going to be the main event of night one. I, I It seems like that. I know Dave said it was for political reasons. I think people might have took that and thought of it as like Charlotte politicking her way to the main event. I think it's more of a, we want to make sure one night has main evented by women uh, kind of political situation. Um, but like, I think, like, yeah. I don't know, man, if I was at WrestleMania and I've been there for three or four hours and I know I'm going to have to come back tomorrow night. I'm like, do I really want to sit here for the end of Charlotte versus Ray Ripley? A match that feels ice cold. Um I think that would be a mistake. I'll just, yeah, I'll just say Rhea Ripley better win, or, or that is going to be a pretty well. I think just you, the, you, you, you would doubt Triple H again. Just this is all part of his big grand plan. Um, the second to last match, we're almost done here. Trish Stratus, Lita, and Becky Lynch versus Damage Control in a six women's tag team match. Um, Becky, uh, Trish Stratus and Becky Lynch won the woman, uh, women's tag team championships uh, a few weeks ago, uh, but they will not be defending them in this match. Uh, instead, they will be in a six-man tag, adding Lita to them to their team against Damage Control, Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky. Uh, I mean, I guess the fans will be into seeing Trish Stratus and Lita. Um, despite the fact that I grew up like in the perfect time to kind of be nostalgic for Trish Stratus and Lita, like I could care less about them being in a match. And this Bailey uh, thing and this damage control thing, I think has been a huge flop. I think when Bailey first came back from her injury, I thought this is huge because, you know, Bianca really needs a great opponent and, you know, they don't have... You know, Charlotte was out of the picture at the time. Sasha was gone. And I was like, man, they really need like one of their big aces to come back and, and really carry this women's division. And despite the fact that she got a heel stable, I don't think Bailey has been particularly good uh, since she came back from her injury. And this whole damage control thing has not taken off the way I think a lot of people originally thought they were going to when they were all brought back uh, on SummerSlam. So that to me has really, you know, been a huge blow to, to WWE's women's division and this match is just a match on the show I'm not excited about it um it, it could be could be good I don't know like Trish Stratus and Lita are probably just gonna hit nostalgia spots I don't think either of them are particularly good in the ring anymore um so a lot of it will fall into damage control to kind of be there in the right spots but to, to me this is just a match I have I have nothing more really to say about it other than that I've been disappointed in what damage control has turned out to be yeah 
I don't know. Some of that's per, probably performance based, but a lot of it's booking based too. Like if you're debuting a new stable, they got to be pretty dominant. Um, and they just haven't been. Um, so I think that's detracted a bit. Like they've lost a lot. <laughs> they've lost a lot. Uh, and then, you know, Trish and Lita are, uh, I, I just, one thing I do want to say is that, um, one thing I do want to say is that Becky, uh, incredible display of political stroke by Becky, um, who, a few months ago, like it, when she turned babyface and Ronda Rousey turned heel, it seemed like they are destined to finally have their singles match at WrestleMania, like four years later. And instead, I guess apparently Becky didn't was not interested in working with Ronda again, and was able to get a scenario where she got to work with her friend Bailey and Dakota and Io, who are two of the better workers on the roster, and then bring in Trish and Lita, even though like an alignment between Becky and Lita made no sense after last year, she still got that done. And I think this is probably like, I don't know, in my perception, just because of Trish and Lita's involvement, like this is actually like the one of the probably the biggest women's match on either show because of how cold the other two are. Um, so I, that's the thing that I've found most interesting. I'm sure this match is going to be good. Um, Dakota and Neo, like they have, they've been a little bit disappointing in terms of what they've displayed before versus what their performances have been, but they're perfect for, in terms of people for Trish and Lita to work with. So, but yeah, I, th I think this will be fun. You know, they'll hit their spots. They'll have a solid match and it'll be a nice dose of nostalgia and, you know, everybody will, everybody will be happy. Um, I am interested to see though, how, if maybe post WrestleMania, we do get like Becky versus Ronda again, if they do like Becky and Lita versus um, Ronda and Shayna, because uh, like conversely, like Becky got everything she wanted, it seems like out of this WrestleMania. Um, but man, Ronda just going from, I mean, if you just think about like 2018, um, when she debuted within that mixed tag match against Triple H and Stephanie with Kurt Angle. And then, you know, headlines mania next year. And now here we are four years later um, and she's in like the tag match to get everybody on the show. Like, God, what a fall from grace that's been. Yeah, that's our last match. It's Liv Morgan and Rayquel versus Natalia and Chati versus Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler versus Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville. And I agree with your take on Ronda. I mean, Ronda, I think ever since she came back from uh, – ever since she came back to the Royal Rumble last year. Um, she hasn't felt the same as when she originally did. I think there's a bunch of things factoring into that. Um, but she just kind of gives off the impression that she's been miserable the entire time. Uh, and she doesn't seem like her heart is into wrestling the way it was when she first debuted, when it was clearly like her living out a dream. It feels like now she's someone that's burned out at her job that's still has to come into work each day. And for whatever reason, doesn't seem like anyone, you know, any of the big stars really want to work with her, which is why she's kind of relegated into the spot, um, working this, this four-way tag match, which is not for the tag team titles. Um, and you're right, like about like, you would think someone with Ronda Rousey's star power would want to be, you know, in a big singles match because theoretically she's a big star, but she's just not anymore. She's not a big star. She's not a difference maker for WWE. Um, I think, you know, as we get further removed from her real peak as an MMA star, 
she's less she's significantly less famous than she was in 2018. That's just the bottom line. And the novelty of seeing her wrestling has certainly worn off. Um, and so what you're left with is just her performance, uh, and especially her performance as a personality has left a lot to be desired. And so I, it, it is a, a fall from grace, but I don't think this is like the an inappropriate spot for her just because I don't think her performance or, you know, her presentation has been up to, up to par for, for what you need, it needs to be to get a big singles match at WrestleMania. Yeah. I mean, her, I mean, last year, her match with Charlotte and I mean, pretty much all, I don't want to say all her matches because there's, there might've been some I missed that were good, but the ones that I saw, like her Liv Morgan matches, the one with Shotzi, it was all pretty, pretty rough. Um, I think the match with Raquel was, wasn't bad. Um, I did actually enjoy that one, but yeah, it just, her performances just aren't really there. She's not a particularly strong promo. Um, I mean, I think, in terms of her attitude, um, like I think when she first started, she could just be Ronda Rousey um, and people like that. She definitely took it very personal and very hard when the crowd rejected her because they liked Becky Lynch more. Um, it didn't seem like she understood that as this isn't because I'm doing anything wrong. This is just because like I'm the favorite and Becky's like this underdog who's kind of caught fire. It seems like she took that very personally as, oh, they just don't like me. Instead of realizing it was more reflective of the WWE's booking and just the situation. And I think because of that, like when she's come back, she just like, she doesn't, she definitely doesn't care as much as she used to. Uh, And also now she's like, she, she was always, her attitude was always kind of a little bit dislikable and she ended up kind of coming off as a heel, like when she was on the ultimate fighter um, and, and things like that. But she's, I guess, trying, to, she's playing like pro wrestling heel and she is not, she doesn't have the background as like a performer. So it's just, it just rings hollow um, and combine that with her in-ring performances and yeah it's just been it's been a very like when I heard she was coming back it was like oh this will be interesting and it's been worse than I think anyone probably expected um the past year that she's had all right uh that's it for the card do you have anything else to kind of add about WrestleMania that we didn't get to no, one thing I'll just say, and I, you kind of said it a little bit um, at the beginning, is it is kind of remarkable, knowing WWE's track record, just how, and I think one positive thing we can say about um, Triple H's regime is that a lot of these matches have builds that have, you know, you can question how uh, interesting or captivating they've been in the execution, but a lot of these matches uh, definitely have had long-term builds and time invested into them. So that's, I'll say that is nice to see. And it does make a lot of them feel a little bit bigger than they would otherwise. Yeah. Like even like the Omos versus Brock Lesnar match, which I don't, I'm not particularly excited to see. And I wouldn't even say like the, 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 the segments leading up to it have been particularly exciting for me, but there was clearly a story that they had in mind and that they've been trying to tell on raw each week. And so there has been hype for it. So if you are someone who would be potentially intrigued by that match, they have kind of delivered in that sense. And I, like I said, this is a very organized show and it feels like that it was planned out, you know, further in advance than, than a lot of the previous WrestleMania offerings that took place under a different regime. So I, I think that if you just look at this card and we'll see how this each show goes, 
Um, but I think if you just look at this card, it's a sign of the improvements that Triple H has been able to bring to the table, uh, you know, upgrading over over what Vince's kind of practices were. Yeah, outside of the women's division anyway. All right. Um, do you have anything you want to plug at all? Nope. Uh, if anyone uh, wants this, I just, you know, write pieces for VOW every once in a while. Um, I don't want to, I'm working on something right now. I'm not sure exactly when it'll be out, but um, yeah, if you want to check out my work, um, you can uh, just search Adam Berger, uh, Voices of Wrestling. My columns will come up. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, Adam underscore bomb 5150. And uh, yeah, you can see some of my prior appearances on uh, this show and uh, yeah, read some of my columns. Yeah, do you have any uh, uh gigantic? Do you have? Are you going to try to destroy the backstage atmosphere of another wrestling promotion? <laughs> that is the column I'm working on right now. Uh, um, I don't even know where to begin with that, but uh, yeah, that that will be the next thing that I write about, and hopefully, I'll have that out. Uh, you know, sometime in April. All right. Well, I want to thank Adam so much for joining us today. And I want to thank everyone who's been uh, listening to the show. Uh, and so thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you all in a little bit. Thanks. Music. It's not just part of our daily lives. It's part of our wrestling fandom as well. And it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in. Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.